And uh, I've titled the message today, Distracted. Turn to the person next to you and say, Distracted. You can do better than that. Say, Distracted. I don't know if you know this, but the National Security Council reports that cell phone use while driving leads to 1.6 million crashes a year. 1.6 million crashes because we're texting and driving. Nearly 400,000 injuries occur each year from accidents caused by texting while driving. One out of every four, so 25% accidents in the United States, is caused by texting and driving. Texting while driving makes a crash up to 23 more times likely to happen. Nine people in the U.S. are killed by distracted driving every day. I don't know if you've ever seen video footage of even the technique that thieves and um, kidnappers and, if you will, sex traffickers that they use, how they actually will distract someone to steal a child. They'll use some type of distraction technique to get your attention over here and then kidnap a child. They'll, they'll use this to rob. In fact, they were doing this a lot um, down in the San Antonio and some of the closer to the border towns. They will uh, leave an open parking space and put two uh, thieves, if you will, in cars and leave an open parking space and wait for someone to pull in that then wait for them to go do their shop and come back out. And as they start their car and go to back out, the thief on this side will hit, they'll open their door and hit the side of that car. So the person puts it in park, gets out, keeping the car running, the keys inside to come look and engage. When the other thief jumps in it, shuts the door and drives off of the car and there's nothing they can do. Distraction is one of the greatest techniques of an enemy to be able to steal from you, to be able to destroy you, to be able to take from you. Are you tracking with me today? Say yes. And I believe that we are in times of distraction like never before. I believe all of this mess that we're having with culture wars, all of this mess with mental illness of people who have a microphone who should never have a microphone, that people are talking about kids were born wrong, they should have been girls when they were boys, all of that craziness listen to me, church, is nothing more than a distraction to keep us from being who we are called to be and do what we're called to do. Are you with me today? Say yes. And I would challenge you, stop going down the rabbit holes. I would challenge you, stop being distracted by all this foolishness and rise up and be the man and woman of God you're supposed to be in this hour. In fact, futurists are saying right now that we are within five years of World War III, that we're within five years of World War III, that it's gonna happen, that, in fact, the thing with Ukraine was Russia's shot across the bow of the United States to say, what are you going to do? We don't think your president's strong enough to push us back. China and Russia are in cahoots together. Their big goal is to crash the dollar. The dollar is the world standard. The moment that our dollar is no longer the world standard and we're using other type of currencies, if you will, we will then be not the world power that we are. That will lead us to war. The shot across the bow at Ukraine was all a portion of that to see what will we do. You know that Putin's big goal is to not just have Ukraine. He wants all of those you know, NATO countries. He said that. He wants them. In fact, if he gets those countries that'll uh, increase Russia uh, two-thirds bigger than it is now and so what we're talking about is really intense times coming forward but I believe that in difficulty and tragedy that's when the church rises up and light only works in darkness light pushes away darkness and so this is our finest hour for global harvest to see men and women who've been away from God to come home because things are shaking so much when they're paying five dollars a gallon and they start praying. They start saying, oh, Jesus, oh, God, what's going on? When their kids come home and 
start saying, no, I think that I, I wasn't meant to be a boy. I think I was meant to be a girl. All of a sudden, people start waking up to maybe something has gotten into my home, gotten into my family, gotten into my mind, and I need to get back right with God. And that is our time and our hour. But we must not be distracted a second longer. We've got to come out of that. And so with that being said, our key scripture for today's teaching is out of 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 35. Look what it says. I am saying this for your benefit, not to place a limitation on you, but so that without distraction, you may give notable and constant service to the Lord. The apostle Paul is engaging with the New Testament church there in Corinth. They're young believers. They've, they've, they've lived wicked lives. They've come, become radically saved. And either persecution has started in a real intense way or Paul knows that it's coming, so he's prepping them. And so he says in an earlier verse in this chapter, he says, in answer to your question, you had a need, you asked me something and what we should do. So he says, I wanna give you this as a consideration, not necessarily a directive or even thus saith the Lord. He says, but if you, in reference to your virgins, to the, to the men and women who are not um, married yet, he said, my counsel to you is don't get married. If you don't have to get married, don't get married because of the intensity of the hour. And he goes on to say, because, you know, a man who's married's got to take care of his wife and kids. A woman who's married, her, her responsibility is to take care of her husband and her children. And so these things can be very difficult when all of a sudden they're grabbing your husband by the throat and saying, deny Christ, or we're going to kill your wife and your kids. He said, so I would counsel you in these heightened moments probably just to abstain from being married if you so can. And then he comes back down in verse 35. I'm saying this for your benefit, not to place a limitation on you, but so that without distraction, you may give notable and constant service to the Lord. What he's saying is Christians can be distracted from serving God. He says, and in this heightened moment, this could be a very difficult place for you. And so I wanna warn you and protect you from being distracted. When you're distracted, the enemy's able to steal from you. When you're distracted, the enemy's able to steal from you and kill from you. But when you and I are focused, the enemy can't get in. Are you with me? Say yes. So let's go to a passage where we see how quickly the enemy loves to distract. In fact, I say it like this all the time. If the enemy can't destroy you, then he will distract you. If he can't tempt you into sin, he'll distract you into good things. And so you lose an intimacy with the Lord. And we see this in this engagement with Martha and Jesus in Luke chapter 10. That's gonna be our key kind of passage that we camp out at today. Luke chapter 10 and verse 38. It says, and Jesus and his disciples were on their way. And he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. Verse 39, she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. Verse 40, but Martha was, say the word, Say it out loud. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me, exclamation mark. I don't know if you've ever done this to Jesus, but this woman thought it proper to boss Jesus around and tell him what he should be doing. And she did it at a heightened emotional state because it ends with an exclamation mark. Tell her to help me. Verse 41, Martha, Martha. You know when your mama called your name a couple of times, you're in trouble. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. You are worried and upset about many things. 
but only one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken from her. See, Martha was experiencing spiritual ADDD. She was distracted. She was not focused on what was really transpiring in her life in this moment. She is in a difficult moment because she is trying to be culturally relevant. Let me speak to this for a moment. See, in Martha's culture, if you invite someone over to your home and they bring their friends, you, it is culturally appropriate to prepare something for them, to have them something to eat. You ever go to grandma's house unexpectedly? She starts pulling out stuff out of the refrigerator. You want something? Baby, you're looking so skinny. Oh, my God. Let me hold on just to say, let's get you something, right? It's culturally acceptable even in our generation, but even more so in a Middle Eastern generation of 2,000 years ago. It was not only expected, but it was also appropriated that if you don't, then somehow you are not being kind and hospitable. So Martha in her culture is trying to be culturally relevant and do what's right by way of her culture. There's a second part of Martha's culture that is being misappropriated in this moment, and that is her sister is sitting at the feet of Jesus. As he's in the living room, I want you to picture this. She's in the living room, and she's sitting at the feet of Jesus. There's two problems with this. Number one, Martha is the older sister, and the younger sister should be in the kitchen serving the older, not out there getting her, you know, getting her little moment with Jesus. And there's another piece of this, and that is, by way of Jewish custom of the time, women were not permitted to sit at the feet of a rabbi and learn. They were not permitted. You want to talk about you know, misappropriation of women's rights. Women were not permitted. It was not culturally acceptable. So not only is Mary not doing her part in helping Martha, she's also breaking cultural norms by sitting at the feet of the rabbi. She's not supposed to be doing that. And that is chapping Martha to no end. She is stirring. Can you imagine? She pulls out that she starts pulling junk out of the refrigerator, and she try, and they and they talking, and then and then I see an open heaven, and Mary sitting at the front row. Yes, Lord, yes, Lord, and she's in there. And I tell you that. Well, where's Mary at? Where? I need to get them things going. We got to cut these tomatoes, and we got to get that bread out, and we got to start doing all that. Where's Mary at? Where's Mary at? She's in there with Jesus. She's what? And with who? I bet she did not go up in there. And she peeks through the door and's like, oh, no, she did not go up in there. Sitting at his feet, we got to get this done. And we got to get this. These people are all up in our house. And we don't want to be said that we didn't have nothing for Jesus to eat. We don't want to be known as the one household that he came to visit. And all we did, we, we didn't, didn't give him a glass of water. We cannot be those people. See, Martha was suffering We're trying to be culturally relevant. Let me just speak to that for just a moment. The culture in which we live will distract you from the words of Jesus. You will get all caught up in what's going on culturally, all these culture wars and all this foolishness. Let me tell you something. Set the pot down, set the internet down, turn off your doggone phone and go get at the feet of Jesus. And I promise you, everything that you have questions about will be answered. Everything you need looking into his eyes and his eyes alone. And so as she begins to engage with him, she says, Rabbi, you can't let my sister do this. You need to tell her to stop. And Jesus in his graciousness says, Martha, Martha, you're worried and upset about so many things, but only one thing matters in this life. You've got the king of glory sitting in your living room. Sweetheart, I was there 
when the trees burst forth from the soil. I told the sun where to set and the moon where to be positioned. I took the stars and I cast them across your galaxy. And I'm sitting in your living room and you worried about getting a sandwich ready. Are you out of your mind? Your sister has chosen what is better. It's not bad for you to serve me. That's not bad. But it's wrong timing and it's wrong positioning. I'm here. And all the pain that you've been through from losing your parents, all the difficulty that you've had to be as a woman leader in your, in your, your little community to try to keep this family going, I will solve and heal all of that if it will sit at my feet just like your sister has learned to do. And that will not be taken away from you. It won't be taken away. See, I want you to understand something. It is easy to be distracted. It's easy to have Jesus right there in front of you. And you're so worried about what's going on in your family. You're so worried about your business. You're so worried about what some stupid person posted that was so ignorant that it made no sense. And it's contem- you're contemplating it and replaying it in your mind. And a conversation that you had at work with some person who doesn't know Jesus. Who's some person who's led by every demon force in hell. And you're sitting there replaying that. And I should have told him this and I should have told him that. And we're sitting here in church and you can't even engage with your God because you are distracted. And he says, you're distracted, sweetheart. Let me give you three signs of being distracted right here out of this passage. Number one, you're worried. If you're worried about anything, you're distracted. He said, you're worried. At first, the scripture says she was distracted by all the preparations. And then Jesus qualifies what that looks like. You're worried. Can I ask you something? What are lion cubs worried about? Think that through for a moment. Have you ever watched the History Channel? Here on the plains of Africa, deep in the recesses of the world, play the lion cubs. Mufasa stands off in the distance as the cubs play nearby without a fear of anything. Why are they not scared and worried about nothing? Because their daddy is the king of the jungle. They know what's going to kill them, what's going to affect them. You need to realize you're the king of kings and the lord of lords, sons and daughters. Why are you worried? You say, oh, I don't know. I might get laid off. Praise God. He's got something better. You are the son and daughter of the most high. Well, it may not work out. My husband may cheat on me. My wife may do. What are you worried about? Jesus Christ has conquered every principality and every power. Sit at his feet, sir. Sit at his feet, ma'am, and let him breathe life into your lungs. Bring strength into your feeble bones. Let him and him alone be who he is. And that is the Lord of lords and the King of kings. What are you worried about? What are you worried about? That's a sign that you're distracted because you can't look into the eyes of Jesus on a daily basis and be worried about anything. You've gotten distracted. Here's a second proof that you've gotten distracted, and that is you're upset. You're upset. Do you know what upset translates as? Unsettled, not at peace. Why are you not at peace? Well, I got this, and I got to get this done by this time. That's exactly what Martha was doing. She was so unsettled that it upset her. Can I just remind you of something? When you die, where are you going? Heaven for eternity. This little short world, if you live a good 85 years, that's wonderful. But that is a drip in the bucket of eternity. What, what, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world but forfeit his soul? As a servant of the most high God, 
What could possibly upset that at the end of it all, you're going to spend eternity wrapped in his arms? And he says, not only will I bless you in the life to come, but also in this life for those who have given up houses and homes for my namesake. Well, I'll not only bless you in the life to come, but also in this life. What are you upset about? Why has it gotten a hold of you? Because you're distracted. Because you can't be upset when you're sitting at his feet, when you're walking in his, in his presence, when you're looking at him face to face, when you're hearing his words rumble down through your spirit, man, and they're coming up in your soul. I got you. I will never leave you or forsake you. I'm there forever and ever. I hold you in the palm of my hand, and neither heights nor depths nor principalities nor powers can separate you from my love. Why are you upset, friend? Because you're distracted. Not because you're bad. Not because you're evil. Not because you don't love God. You're distracted. You're looking over here. And the Satan's, look over here. Look over here. And you're like, uh-oh, looking over there. And all of a sudden, you find yourself worried and upset. Here's a third sign that you become distracted, and that is you're critical of others. Martha wasn't so mad that Mary wasn't helping her. Martha was mad that Mary was engaging with Jesus and she wasn't getting to she was mad that Mary was at peace. She was mad. Martha was mad at Mary because Mary wasn't worried and upset. I'm worried and upset, and you're not. Nope, I'm not. I'm sitting at the foot of Jesus. Have you ever noticed how when you're going through hell on earth, you want everybody else to go through hell on earth? And you get mad when they're not? Don't you, don't you have those moments you just can't stand that person who's happy? Praise the Lord. And you're like, oh, I'll praise your Lord. Whoa, what just happened to you? How did you just get so critical? How did you get so judgmental of that person's journey? And it's because you're distracted. Not because you're a mean, terrible person. You're just distracted. And when you're distracted, nothing seems to satisfy. Nothing seems to make you feel any better. In fact, as we look in Acts chapter 2 and verse 43, we find that it says that they were filled with signs and wonders and all was happening and, and, and these ma magnificent miracles were happening. Signs were done by the apostles, all the believers together, and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods. They gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet in the temple courts. Not one of you have heard, heard a word I've said in the last 60 seconds. Not one of you. It was magnificent to watch you do that. You went. I almost told you the house is burning down, but then some one person who actually is a real Christian, would have heard me and went running out. All you guys online, you were like, why did that guy just walk? Baby, come see this. Some guy just walked across the stage with a ladder. It's amazing how quickly distracted y'all get. How quickly do you, distracted. Most everyone, I love to be behind you guys when there's an accident 15 lanes over. You'll bring your Ford F-150 complete stop looking across the intersection. We are easy, would you just admit we're easily distracted? Would you just own it with me? Say, everybody say yes. We are, I am, Jesus, I'm telling you, I suffer from spiritual ADDDD. I get so mad about stuff. Jamie's like, what you mad about? Some guy said this. She's like, who is that guy? I don't know, but he shouldn't have said it. Like, what does that have to do with us? I don't know, but he's just, just the devil. Just the devil. And I'm all worried and upset about stuff that don't even matter. It doesn't matter. This is the plan of the enemy to distract you and me from being right there at his feet, right there experiencing the goodness of God. The early church, it blesses me when I read through the book of Acts and I see what the early church had. I want to be like them. In fact, let me bring you back there since now you're back focused. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 43, look what it says they had. Everyone was filled with awe. 
and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. Don't you want to see miracle signs and wonders in our lifetime? I want to see them. I'm telling you, I was, I was so proud. Josiah wasn't playing. He took his little baby and he began to speak like, Lord, heal him, bring him back to life, or take him into your arms. Either way, Jesus, I'm serving you. I was proud of that man believing for miracles in that moment. He didn't get what he wanted, but I guess I'll tell you one thing. He found comfort in the truth that God's got him now in his hands. But I promise you right now, signs and wonders are, are for those of us who will stay focused on the voice of the Lord and the, and, the, and, the, and the words of God. It says all the believers were together and they had everything in common. Can you imagine a church where we're not split, we're not gossiping, we're not talking bad about each other, we're not, we're not pointing fingers at all of them, they were together in one accord. They, were, they had everything in common. Their needs were met. It continues on. It says they, they even got to selling stuff just so they could help provide for one another. Can you imagine being a part of church like that? That's what the early church had. This is what they had. It says, and they gave to anyone as they had need. Every day they continued to meet in the temple courts. Every day they met together in the temple courts. Every day they met together in the temple courts. I can't get you to come but once a month, most of you. Can you imagine? You so fired up, we get like, Pastor, can we have church on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday? I got nothing to do on Thursday. I don't even like, I don't even like the new Netflix special. I just come to church. That's what they were doing. They were so connected to the voice of God. They were so focused. As persecution's happening, they're focused. And look what it says that they had. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. That's why we do small group life, because they did it in the early church. Not because it's my vision, because it was his vision. Praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. They had favor in their community. Do you know that? The early church, the community loved them. It was the leadership that was demonic that was trying to stomp them out. But the community loved them. Why? Because they were blessing people. They were, let me pay that gas for you. I got a little extra money. To, Sir, you don't even know me. I know, but Jesus saved my life. And I've been where you're at, and I can tell on your face you're going through something tough right now. Let me just help you a little bit. Well, who are you? I'm just a Christian who loves Jesus. I want to be a part of people like you instead of, uh-huh, them church people. Sheesh. You don't want to go be with them. Woo. They will stomp you while you're on the ground. They will talk bad about you. Jesus, you don't want to hang out with them. I, don't, I told you, we won't be that church. I'm not going to be a part of that group of people. I'm happy to have five people in my living room and serve Jesus because we're going to be like the New Testament church. They had everything come. They had the favor of all the people. And look what it says. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. You couldn't stop people from getting saved. They were just getting saved like crazy. People like, I want God. Whatever you got, I want what you got. I got to have that. Can you imagine? We're so focused in God that everybody goes, I want that. Now, to have this, you've got to back up the couple verses before and see what they committed themselves to. Because they committed themselves to four things that gave them this as a result. And let's look at those. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 42, it says, they devoted, everybody say devoted. Committed themselves, devoted themselves, made sure that they were going to be doing this. If they ain't going to do nothing else, we're going to do this. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, and to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. So let me break these down for you. They had four devotions that kept them from being distracted by all the craziness that was going on in the world. You do understand what they were doing in this moment. They would take Christians. The apostle Paul said, I had letters. I had letters from the governing authorities that allowed me to put Christians in jail and even have them killed. 
So you're just sitting there having small group and the door knocks, duck, 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 and they bust in with swords drawn and take your children away, take your husband away, begin to take your friends away. And then they would put them in the Colosseum at times, in the amphitheaters where they would have those you know, that, that where they would have, uh, you know, all those guys fighting and wrestling with swords and, and you know, you, you saw the movies and they would, the, the pregame show would be to let the Christians get kind of uh, eaten by the lions in front of everybody. Gladiators would come out a little later, but the opening would, well, watch these Christians die at the hands of these bears that we've been, that we captured and we've been starving for a couple of days. This is the persecution life that they're living in, but it says they devoted themselves to something so they could stay focused. If you, They were devoted, they were focused. First thing, the apostles' teaching. I would challenge you and me to get back to the things that the early church were focused on. Get back to the simple things of Christianity. Studying of the word. The study of the word. Earlier in this year, I presented you with, hey, I've been able to work a little deal with a local Bible school so that you could take some online courses for $50 a course. Some of you took me up on it. Some of you didn't. If you want to know more about that, follow, us, follow back up with me, and I'll, and I'll send you some of those links. And they have a special discount just for Hill City. I want you to know your word. They, they studied the word, so when the enemy came like he did with Jesus and said, wait a minute, do this, do this, and he said, no, that's not what the word says. And the reason why the word is so critical, because you got to understand, uh, in, in our country, we have a legal system. That legal system follows our laws the laws that we voted into, if you will, law. And we said, yep, that's how we're gonna abide ourselves. For example, if the speed limit is 50 and you're doing 60, you've now broken the law that we've all agreed is the law, is the right way by which we should live. And so, or if you hit someone and you killed them, you would then go before a judge, a jury, there would be a prosecuting attorney, there would be a defense attorney, and they would defend and prosecute based on what? the law, what was said, what was ascribed, what was settled as truth, what is settled as by the way by which we will govern ourselves what is right and what is wrong. And they'll argue back and forth. And what we've seen is manipulation of the law. We've seen misappropriation of the law. But nonetheless, there is a law. God's word is the law. If he said it, that is it. And here's the problem. Most of you don't understand. When Satan starts tempting your mind, you don't know enough of the law to be able to say, no, sir, that's a lie. No, sir, you cannot take that. Get your hands off of it. Hold on. But actually, in section 5A, it says this. It was settled. You cannot do that. And so most of you don't know enough of the word to be able to defend yourself against the plans of the enemy. So he's stealing, killing, and destroying from you because you don't know the word. And the Bible says very clearly that they committed themselves to the study of the word. They're studying it. They're not just hearing sermons. They're reading it for themselves. They're getting any kind of commentation. They're, re- they're watching any kind of YouTube video of some dude who actually understands the word a little bit better. They're reading the Bible for themselves. They're taking the living translation, comparing it to the King James. They are studying the word so that they can say, no, sir, no, sir. That is not right. That is wrong, Satan. Get your hands off of it. I have a legal decree that this is right and that is wrong. Get your hands off of it. But since you don't know that, you're constantly being stolen from. But they devoted themselves. Things are blowing up. Kids are being taken from them. Things are happening, but they're devoted. They're committed. They're focused on the word of God. Let me tell you something. It's gonna get crazier. I've never seen crazy like we're seeing crazy right now. 
Never seen it. I can't even imagine that people who are this crazy actually have platforms to propagate their crazy. Never seen anything like it. And you better be focused because you're going to get so distracted that you're going to be running around. Like, I don't, and I'm watching Christians do that. I'm like, are you, are you kidding me? What, is, what does the word say? What does the word say? We're in this moment, Josiah and I, and they just officially told him his baby's dead. They wheel his wife off. We're in this big room together. And if you've never heard Josiah pray, you need to hear him pray. Listen, that dude prays in tongues in a way that none of us pray in tongues. And it's got a power. When he prays in, the, in his prayer language, I mean, it's like, wow, let's go, bro. And he starts praying in tongues. And all of a sudden, I get this thing. I said, Joseph, I feel the Spirit of the Lord saying to us, speak the word. Speak the word that we know. And so we start quoting scripture. He said, he'll never leave us or forsake us. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. We started quoting scripture. We're pacing back and forth in this room. Quoting scripture, quoting scripture, quoting scripture. And I'm telling you the heaviness and the laughter, the hyena voices of the satanic, demonic forces that come to all of our minds in tragic moments. And all the crazy thoughts. I'm going to do, I'm going to do this. And all of a sudden, it was gone as we started quoting the word. And we looked at each other and the peace filled the room. It was unbelievable. Why? Because the word of God is the authority on earth. He said it, I believe it, that settles it. I don't care what everybody else believes. I don't care what everybody else says. I don't care how they misappropriate or mix or twist that law. The bottom line is God created male and female. He put them together in marriage, whether you like it or not, whether you hate me or not, I love you. Bottom line, he told, he told the church, he told the church that we belong to him and so we're supposed to act accordingly. We're supposed to love one another. So if you, you, know, you get to being angry and hateful at each other, you're out of his word. You're outside of his proper order, whether you like it or not, whether it makes me happy or not. He told us to give all these pieces that are his law. And as we fall in line and as we describe his law to the broken and the hurting, friends, peace, joy, strength, no matter what's going on around you, stay focused. Here's the second thing they committed themselves to. And look, they used the preposition. The scripture used the preposition the fellowship, the fellowship. So that's something very specific. It's not talking about a general concept. See, most of you think fellowship, especially depending on what church you came from, fellowship of the church I grew up in, was a, there was a fellowship hall, and that's where we went after certain services and stuff, and we had chips and dips and foods, and we sat around gossiping about each other. That was fellowship, if you will, okay? That's not what this is talking about at all. In fact, it used the preposition, the fellowship. Everybody say, the fellowship. And so when you look at the original Greek word, it's the word quantania. Everybody say quantania. Oh, you can do better than that. Say quantania. And quantania, actually, it's better translated out partnership, brotherhood, sisterhood. Anybody in here, anybody went to college and joined a fraternity or sorority? Go ahead, tell the truth. Come on, none of you. All right, thank you for being Christian. No, I'm just kidding. But the reason why people join fraternities and sororities is because they want to be a part of the sisterhood. Sisterhood. There's a group of ladies that when you see them all at a certain event and they all wearing red, you know who they are. They were in a, they in a sisterhood. And I'm going to tell you, not only that, but uh, they will vote for each other. They will watch out for each other, even not knowing each other because they all came from the same sorority. They are a sisterhood. There's a brotherhood. 
There's a group of brothers that I have in my life that I love them so much, but they let these jokers in this fraternity brand them, literally take, they, they literally put the brand on it. They branded them. And I'll never forget the first one. I was like, dude, what, you, what, you, what happened? You in a car accident? He goes, no, nah, man, I'm a fraternity. It's such and such and such. So I was like, what is that on your arm? It's not even a tattoo. That's a what? What is that? And they literally took a clothes hanger, bent it into the, air, into the symbol, and brand, heated it up and branded them. They're all branded. They're a brotherhood. That's what they had. The early church, they weren't just doing home group. They weren't just doing small group. They were brotherhood and sisterhood. They had a fellowship. They had each other's back. And so when people come to our church and they ask us, they pass around, how do we connect in small group? Uh, you know, I'm looking for Bible study. I'm looking for this. I'm looking for that. I'm like, we're not. We're looking for brotherhood and sisterhood. So how do we establish that? Well, first, you got to start being friends. You got to start being nice. You got to start welcoming people into your life. Then what you got to do is say, look, can we get together sometime? And I don't care if you get together once a week, twice a week, once a month. I don't matter to me. Be the brotherhood. Be the sisterhood. You know how to get together with people and begin to study the word and love God and go out to each other's back and have each other's back. We, listen, we, can't, we don't have time to be divisive and hurtful. And we got to let go of all the past things that happened and trust again. Say, well, that last church I went to, I went to a small group. They told all my business out there. I am so sorry. They were so wrong. Love again. Try again. Because outside of the brotherhood, outside of the sisterhood is where the enemy gets you isolated. And he starts taking you out because you're all by yourself. I'm not, just, I'm not just pushing small groups because, you know, because I have some agenda. I am pushing what the New Testament church had so that you don't become distracted, so that you don't become destroyed, so Jesus don't look at you and say, Johnny, Johnny, you are worried and upset about so many things. You are wasting your time, Demarcus. What are you doing? Mary has chosen the better thing, and you look at the peace that she has, and you're about to go jump off a cliff because why? Because you're distracted, worried, upset, and critical of others, and now look what you got. So let us focus. Let us focus on the word of God every day. Let us focus on fellowship, and here's the third thing that they focused on. Used again, another preposition, the breaking of bread. You study this out, and you'll find some of the younger theologians, they thought that that meant um, communion. But when you study some of the older theologians, those who probably look closer to a time frame and a culture of understanding, they weren't talking nearly about communion. I don't believe they were talking about communion either. Because, and I don't think they're talking about fellowship again. They weren't just all sitting around, you know, eating together. Uh, hey, more Christians having more Christian time. It's just the opposite, I believe, is happening here, and that is the breaking of bread. I think they were doing meal evangelism. Meal evangelism. Let me help you think this through for a second. Major decisions in corporations, they are not made in a boardroom. They were made the night before at dinner on the golf course, drinking drinks, just so you know. It was already decided before they ever got to that boardroom. It was already decided by a couple, couple people who, ha- who hold the strings. The rest of it was just a formality. Let me tell you where the big things happen. They happen over me. What's the first thing you ever did with your spouse? Roller skating? I bet you ate first. First thing I ever did with, with Jamie, Jamie Lee Anglin was I took her out to eat. And I sat across that table, looked deep into those baby blues, and said, girlfriend, your prince has arrived. <laughs> we started that process over a what? Over a meal. I believe what was happening with the New Testament church, they were getting rocked by God. They're finding God. 
not religion anymore, but they're coming under the banner of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, and the Holy Spirit's coming inside of them, and all of a sudden, power is surging through their veins, and all of a sudden, they get peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. All of a sudden, life has meaning. All of a sudden, when they read the scripture, oh, that's what this meant the whole time. It wasn't about dead religion. It wasn't about going to church. It was about knowing God, the God who created me, and I think they couldn't help and say, Billy, you got to come by tomorrow. Listen, my wife and I want to have you and your wife over for dinner. You're not going to believe what's happened to us. This is unbelievable. You got to come sit down. And as they sit down, pass me them hummus right there. All right, now listen, I'm going to tell you something. <clears throat> Five months ago, you know how I was. I was cheating on her. You know that. I didn't tell you, babe. I'm sorry. But anyway, you know what I was doing, bro. You was all up in my life. God has ripped my heart out and put his heart inside of me. Bro, I'm a new dude. I'm telling you, you want this. She's, and Billy's sitting there going, uh, oh. Oh, you got any more chicken? Let me have some of that. You got any more, any more of that, that roast turkey right there? Okay, yeah. They were doing meal evangelism. I promise you that's what they, they were breaking bread. That's why they were seeing people saved every day, every day, every day, every day. What we do many times as the church is we're so focused on everybody's evil that we're not focused on breaking bread with hurting people and seeing them come to know Christ. I promise you, I'm telling you right now, the devil is trying to take your kids out of the whole process. And last and final thing that they devoted themselves to, look at this, they devoted themselves to prayer. Prayer. Guys, I'm telling you, like never before, you've got to get on your face and start asking God. You've got to get on your face and start hearing his voice, praying, engaging with him. I know this is, Pastor, this is so simple. I know we hadn't got the simple things straight, so we can't be entrusted with the complicated things yet. This is what they devoted themselves to, and so they weren't distracted. Things are blowing up around them. Culture is going crazy. You think our culture is difficult right now? You think, you think some of the things that even I said today, oh, pastor, that's going to make some people mad. Can you imagine what they were taking them and not just putting them in jail? They were killing them because of the cultural norms of the day were so anti-Jesus and so anti-scriptural. And they were living in some tough times, but they stayed focused on the word of God. They studied that word. What's the, last, what's, what's the last scripture you have memorized? They know the word. So, uh, I got some left over from Sunday school back in the day. Memorize some new scripture. Get some word down in you. Get that thing down in you strong. They committed themselves to quantania, some brotherhood, some sisterhood. You, you, listen, you need a band of brothers right now. You need some sisterhood right now. You need some other couples who are going to stand with you as you stand with them as we go through difficult things, processing things, praying with one another. They committed themselves to reach out to hurting people through breaking of bread. I believe they were doing meal evangelism. They were loving people. They were loving their kids, their grandkids. They were having them over to eat. They were talking. They were going out to eat with people, fellowshipping and talking about Jesus, and people's lives are being changed. Daily salvations because of that right there. And then the last thing they committed themselves to was prayer. They were not going to try to do this in their own strength. God, if you don't show up, God, if you don't heal this, if you don't fix this, Lord, if you don't give me wisdom on what to do right now, God, I won't make it through this thing. I don't even know what to say. Lord, I have blown it. I'm repenting to you, God, because I have blown it. I have misappropriated. I have been distracted. And God, I need you to help me now. Fix what I've broken. Fix what I have not been paying attention to, oh God. Help me. Listen, that's my prayer on a daily basis. Oh, Jesus. Jesus, I missed that one. Can you help me, please, God? Will you cover what I just, I blew it, Lord. I didn't see it. I, I made a mistake there, Jesus. And he is faithful and just. And he forgives us of our sins and cleanses us from all unrighteousness. And he comes in like a flood every time the enemy comes against us. Jesus comes in like a flood and raises up a standard against him. Friend, learn to communicate with your God through prayer. 
These four things they were focused on. And as a result of it, they had daily salvations. Miracle signs and wonders. They had everything in common. The community loved them. They were seeing the supernatural on a daily basis in the midst of a crazy culture. You think our culture is wicked? Do you know how wicked the Romans were? The Roman senators and elites had their own homosexual uh, sex rooms for not just slaves that they would have sex with, but boys and girls that they would pay for. The senators, those in, those in charge of what was then the known world, the world governing power of Rome. Talk about vile and wicked. And you talk about all the false gods that the Greeks had introduced. All the perversion that they were living in and worship to those false gods. The sacrifice of their babies to those false gods. I'm just telling you, this is a relevant word for where we're at right now in history and in culture. Commit yourself to know your word. Commit yourself to the fellowship. You need some brothers and sisters that have your back. Commit yourself to reach out to hurting people. Have them over in a safe place. Have dinner with them. Talk to them. Love on them. Share your faith with them. And then, friend, commit yourself to prayer, and you will be so focused that Jesus will look at you and say, go tell Martha what you learned. Go ahead. Go tell her. Go tell her. She's killing herself in there. Come on, would you stand with me all across the room? I want to respond, and again, just connect with you and celebrate the beginning of an amazing discipleship journey with Jesus. Don't forget, next week we are here again, same place, same time, 9 o'clock and 11. And until then, we hope you have an amazing week.